0: So, yeah, as Don just mentioned, I just got back from Alaska yesterday. Uh, I flew in at, like, I think it was, like, 2 o'clock. And when I left Anchorage, it was, I think, 56 degrees. And I landed, and it was 106. And I was like, ah! Like, what happened? Seriously. And as we're driving, you know, when you're driving from Sacramento up to Red Bluff, it just goes, like, 106, 107, 108, (laughs) 109. 109. One in twelve, <laughs> just like dying. Uh, but what I was doing up in Alaska is, is, you know, one of the reasons why I go back um, is is my grandfather is still alive. He's ninety two years old, still lives in the house that I grew up in. Um, so every time I go back there, there's always memories. Um, the The elementary school uh, that I started at is right across the street. And When I was a kid, I this is a true story. I would put my ice skates on and skate to school. Um, you know, I played hockey at this rink when I was growing up, and there's all these different memories there. And uh, but every time I go back up there, it's great because my uh, my 92 year old grandfather. Um, so he was in the Navy for 20 plus years, a veteran, um, and then after that, he was he worked at the post office for 20 plus years. Um, and every year I go uh, to spend time with him, I always hear new stories, that like things I'd never knew about him. Um, and so it's just really great sitting down with him. And then. I spent just a couple days fishing uh, because I was forced to. I didn't want to, but they made me, and uh, I was like, fine. But I caught a bunch of salmon on the Kenai River, and then the reason why I uh, actually was going up there for this trip was a friend of mine was doing a float trip, and I've never done one of these trips, but we took a beaver with these little planes that fly on water. They take off on lakes and rivers, and then they land on water, and so we went out into the middle of absolute nowhere, on this lake called Judd Lake, and dropped off three different boats, and then they drop off our rafts, we put them all together, and then we floated 58 miles down the river every night, putting our tents together, and I mean, just so much work, I will never do it again. I was like, I was like, can we just fish, you know? <laughs> like, um, But I have never seen that many mosquitoes in my life. Yeah, it was unreal. Like, I mean, the minute you would stop the raft all of a sudden 150 of them just everywhere and but before I left um, my family for father's day got me a thermos cell. have any of you ever heard of that before no so you need to write this down okay at first i was like this is the stupidest thing i've ever seen in my life it's this little like gadget and you put this like mosquito repellent oil in it and then you burn and it's supposed it magically makes mosquitoes uh, within 15 feet leave, and I was like, that's just a total scam, and uh, it's not, like, that thing was like, it became the camp, I was the only one that had one, so everybody would be like, if they were going to go to the bathroom, which is in the woods, they're like, can I use your thermocell? <laughs> because it was like the only way to survive, um, yeah, we saw bears, moose, eagles, it was, it was really um, pretty, pretty interesting, I've never, like I said, I've never done a trip like that, but um, there was no cell phone coverage, no no internet, nothing. So we had, you know, to create our own entertainment, so to speak. And I was the oldest person in the group. And so, you know, about 9 o'clock, I was like, well, it's time for me to go to bed. <laughs> and they're all, like, getting ready to go. So I'd go in my tent, and every night I was... Um, just reading, uh, I was just reading through books of the Bible. and and I don't I, can't, I honestly, I don't think I sit down and just read an entire book of the Bible very often, even though that's probably um, a good it would be a good thing to do because then you get the whole context of it. But I sat down the first night and I read the whole book of Exodus. and I was struck by so many different things in it, and actually, because of that, kind of shifted the 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 sermon, um, I guess, uh, content a bit that we were talking about doing. So we are doing a sermon series today called Doxa. We're starting this new sermon series, and Doxa is a Greek word. It comes, uh, so it's Greek, but it, it it's the word glory. So have any of you ever heard the word doxology? Anybody ever heard that? Some of you have. So if you grew up like in a Lutheran or a Roman Catholic church or even some Presbyterian churches, you'll know that there's doxologies. And so Oftentimes, like at the end of the service, they will uh, pray a benediction, and um, oftentimes those benedictions are from doxologies found in scripture. So doxology is essentially the study of worship. And what I want to do for this this month is lean a bit into a theology of worship and think about worship in a maybe a biblical theological way, meaning big picture. If you've been around, you know that uh, a lot of our our sermon content is a very, we, we tend to preach more biblical theology in the sense of a big picture on things, because um, it, it'd be really easy to spend weeks and weeks and weeks in one verse, for sure, that's easy to do. But what we're going to be doing is talking about worship and leaning into this question of what it, what it is, what it isn't, how to how to become people of worship, but before we do that, I want to just talk a little bit about the Vineyard movement. So, our church, as I mentioned earlier, we're a part of a movement, a denomination, a association of churches. There's about 25 to 3,000 vineyards all over the world. In the U.S., there's like 550, and, and our our movement has always been a movement that is that values worship. In fact. There's a really interesting scholar, he's a church historian named Lester Ruth, and he's written a ton on worship, that's what his specialty is, and um, he's written several books where he, as a church historian, places modern worship, the stuff that we're doing with guitars and drums and singing songs to God, he sees Calvary Chapel and the Vineyard as being the two primary movements or church denominations where that kind of was fostered and developed. Um, And so I want to read from the Vineyard USA uh, just a quick statement about our value of worship, and just to kind of solidify why, and then after we read these, we'll talk about why we believe these things from a biblical perspective. So in reference to experience and worship of God, we read these words, "...the kingdom of God is not a geopolitical territory, nor is it the people of God. Rather, the kingdom of God is a dynamic realm when one enters the kingdom, she or he experiences the dynamic reality which exists within the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This means that the experience of the kingdom of God, and thus the experience of God's presence, is central to our faith and Christian life. So The takeaway there is that experiencing the presence of God is central to who we are. Everybody got that? And then it goes on to say in reference to what type of communities we are, we're a worshiping community. Worship is an environment in which we experience God so we make it a priority in our gatherings. So over the course of the next month, we're going to explore what worship is, what worship isn't, and talk about how we can become a people in a community that's more centralized on worship. But before we do that, I'd love to love to pray. So, Father, we ask for your Spirit to be present with us now and to empower us and to lead us and to guide us. And, Father, I, my prayer, and I hope this is the prayer of others, Lord, is that we would be a worshiping people. Lord, that my life would, would be worship. God, that, that my highest priority, my highest goal, my highest purpose, my mission would to be honoring to you, and that we would, we would take this seriously, that our love for you and our love for, for your truth would would so shape us and form us that we would be, we'd be different than the world, God. And I pray for your Spirit to help awaken our hearts to the truth of Scripture today. We pray this in your name. Amen. So many of us are familiar with the Exodus story. Um, you know, I think, in, in fact, if you if you had to pin down some of the most, uh, I guess, well-known stories uh, from the Bible, I think probably one of the first most well-known stories is, is David and Goliath. A lot of people know about David and Goliath. Some people know about Joseph and the coat of many colors. Uh, but I think the Exodus story, Moses and the Exodus story, has to be one of them. How many of you are like I'm very familiar with the story of Exodus? How many of you would would say that? A few of you have, right? Some of you are like, ah, I'm not really quite sure. It's been a while, so I want to catch us all up to speed. So let's just think about Genesis one. God creates everything. Okay, uh, in the beginning there was nothing. God speaks it into existence, and. Um, we also read of Adam and Eve being created, and then very shortly after God creates everything, rebellion happens. Um, and so because of that, human beings rebel against God, and then we inherit this thing called sin nature. Um, but what you ha- what happens is, from Genesis 3 on, you can read the story, and there's all these different people mentioned. And even though um, majority of people, it seems like, are in rebellion against God and are not not faithful to God, you see there's faithful people here and there. And so what begins to happen is God forms special relationships, unique relationships in the Old Testament with different leaders. And so um, how many of you know the story of Noah and the ark, right? Noah was faithful, God honors him and his family. Uh, And then over time, um, we have what ha- uh, in the story of the Old Testament, we have patriarchs. So we have Abraham, we have Isaac, and we have Jacob, and God is faithful. In fact, Abraham is chosen by God, and God says, Hey, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless those that bless you. And from your descendants is going to, be, going to come the Messiah. And he also says that Abraham's going to have a, a community, a people known as Israel, that comes out of him. And so we have the story of Israel come out of that. And so the people of Israel, the Jewish people, are chosen by God for a number of different reasons. And one of the reasons why the people of Israel were to function in the ancient world, to be a light of the world. So they weren't supposed to be the ones like, we got it, ha ha, you don't. They were supposed to be the the light of the world, so the other nations would say, wow, Look at their God. Their God is faithful to them. We need to follow that God. And so we have this story happening. And So so Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob, old man, has some sons, has 12 sons. His youngest son is named? Anybody know? Joseph, that's right. And Joseph uh, is, is the youngest. He's a little cocky. He reminds me a lot of my son, Soren, okay? I'm like, every time my son talks, I'm like, you ever heard of Joseph? But Joseph, basically, his, his siblings don't like him at all. Sounds like Soren. Uh, keep going. Anyway. I know. I know. I love the kid, but he's so cocky. Gets it from his mom. Anyway. So Soren, I mean, Joseph. So Joseph gets sold into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt, and he's in prison, and then, oh, the story is absolutely amazing. This is all in Genesis. Um, he, God raises his, him up. He's a, a faithful man. Joseph is faithful to God. He has opportunities to sin against God. He says, no way, not going to do it. And over time, he gets raised up and becomes like second in command of all of Egypt. And he's able, by God's wisdom, he's able to see famines coming, and so he prepares, and he's able to save the people of Egypt. And then, eventually, all of the people of Israel moved to Egypt, and they're welcomed, and they're loved, and they become part of the society, okay? And that's where Exodus begins. So Exodus chapter 1 starts, and what has happened is that there's now new pharaohs. Time has passed, there's new pharaoh, new king of Egypt, and he doesn't know the story or care about the story of, of Joseph and the people of Israel, and so he looks at, his, at Israel, the people of Israel, as economic commodities. He says, hey, we have a labor force here and they begin to enslave the people of Israel. And that's where it starts. okay? The people of Israel have been absolutely oppressed. They're being uh, treated terribly. They are, um, they are not they're treated harshly is another way to, to think about that. And so what happens is is the people of Israel start crying out to God. and Pharaoh is so oppressive that he says at one point, he's like, there's so many, Jewish people here at any point in time they could raise up, they could rise up against against us, and they could overthrow our government. So what we're going to do is we're going to have the Jewish midwives kill every single boy that's born. Okay, and the Jewish midwives are like, "Oh yeah, we'll take care of that." Just kidding, and they won't do it, and they keep on they they keep on delivering these babies, and so finally um, there's this edict that goes out. We're all Male Jewish babies are going be, to be put to death. And so that's where Moses enters into the story. And it's a really great story. Um, you know, Moses is born and his mom, out of love for her son, and I think this is important, trust in God, she actually makes a little basket and then she puts Moses in it and then pushes it into the river. Now, would you all agree that there's a major amount of trust right there as a mom? Could you imagine going down to the Sacramento River and be like, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, like, I love my kids, so put it in a basket and throw it in the river? Like, no. Like, you would have to have a major amount of trust, and God would, I would think God would have had to let you do that. And so she does that, and it's a great story because then the Pharaoh's daughter, the princess, discovers Moses, and she's like, oh my gosh, it's such a cute baby. And then she's like, hold him. And then Moses' sister sees, and she comes over, and she's like, oh, can I help you? I know a person, my mom, who could help nurse that baby, and so Moses ends up getting cared for as a as a infant by his biological mother, and then when he gets of age, goes and moves into the Pharaoh's palace, and he's raised amongst the Egyptians, and so you have to understand Pharaoh, or Moses, is a really unique individual, because I think Moses was was a person who was very familiar with the Jewish cultural traditions. He knew all those things, but he also understood all the Egyptian cultural things. He is in exile in Babylon at the time, metaphorically speaking, and he's raised. And then, what happens is, he has a, a he begins to develop a heart for his people, and he goes out. and One day, he sees he sees uh, one of his Jewish brothers being being beaten by an Egyptian, and he fights the Egyptian and kills him, and then uh, shortly after that, he begins to worry about how everybody knows about it, and he takes off and leaves Egypt and goes to the land of Midian. And so it's while he's, while he's in Midian that he's, you know, kind of doing his thing. He, he, he marries somebody. He became, becomes, uh, I think, a shepherd. He's just kind of living off the land, and it's one day that he's out in the wilderness when God shows up and God speaks to him And many of you know the story where there's a burning bush that shows up, and the burning bush says, listen, Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt, back to the place where you came from, and I want you to tell the king of Egypt to let my people go. And Pharaoh, you know, was was a ruthless dictator, and so Moses was super scared about that idea. He's like, no, I'm good. (laughs) I don't want to do that. In fact, uh, when, when Moses is told by God to go, what Moses says is he says this. He says, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Right? How many of you have felt that way about something God might have said to you? Like, who am I to do that? Right? Like, there's no way. There's, I, I can't do that. And Moses' excuses that he doesn't speak well. He doesn't know how to communicate. But listen to this. This is what God says to him. God answered, I will be with you, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. And so it's interesting because one thing that I've noticed as I read the book of Exodus several times is that the whole entire story of Exodus um, can really be read through the lens as it's a battle for worship. That is really a a central theme. It's a battle between God and Pharaoh, and it's about who will receive worship. In fact, uh, if you know the story, you know Moses, and we're not going to read all this, but Moses is like, finally, he surrenders to God. He, He makes this deal basically saying, hey, listen, I need some help. God's like, all right, your brother Aaron can help you. And so he says, okay, and he goes back to Egypt, and he has a meeting with Pharaoh, and he says, listen, you need to let my people go so they can worship god and and then over time uh, pharaoh's like yeah sure okay just kidding and then okay maybe no and eventually god starts to rain down the plagues these judgments on the people of egypt and there's 10 different plagues and every plague is a new judgment And this is really interesting by the way as an aside Biblical scholars have noted, if if you know the story, you'll know that there's like one plague is where the entire Nile turns to blood, right? And there's another plague where frogs just show up everywhere, another one where there's these flies that show up everywhere. What's interesting about every one of those plagues, every one of those plagues was a judgment about a god that the the Egyptian people worshipped. And so what God is doing through the plagues is saying, listen, I am sovereign over every one of your created idols, It's a beautiful story. But anyway, what we have happening is time and time again, God um, is is calling his people, the people of Israel, to come out to worship. And so every single plague, the warning is, let my people go so they can worship. Yeah, it's like all over the place, all over the place. And I think, if if we're honest, I think that battle still remains today. The battle for worship still remains today. Even right now, that battle is at work. There is a battle for our mind, for our heart, for our lives. And the question is, who will you worship? Who will you worship? And this is similar to what Jesus said in John 4. Um, Jesus says that God is looking for worshipers, right? He says, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. He's speaking to the woman at the Samaritan well. He says, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. But do you see that? The Father is looking for those who will worship him. The Father is looking for those who will worship him. So for the rest of our talk, for just a few minutes here, I want to think about what is worship? What is worship? And here's how I define worship. You know, if I had to give you a one sentence definition for what worship is, I'd say this Worship is the outward expression of an inward reality. Worship is the outward expression of an inward reality. (coughs) So I grew up in, you know, I grew up in church and as I was sharing a little bit earlier, I remember as a kid, you know, my mom became a Christian in a, in a church of Christ uh, that didn't have musical instruments. They were super judgy about all the musical instrument people. And we sang hymns only, and there was a lot of great things in that movement. But, like, worship was not ever talked about in the sense of what we're talking about today. It was like, you go to church, you sing your three or four hymns, um, and then you go listen to the Bible, and then you go home, and that's that's what I remember from that. But shortly after that, my mom became um, started going to Bible study and learned about uh, the Holy Spirit and worship, and we started going to churches that were more expressive in their singing. And and for me, I mean, I was like a kid, right? So like when you're a kid, I think uh, it's really easy just to like my mom's making me go here. I'm sitting there, all these weirdos are doing weird stuff, you know, and like it doesn't mean anything to me. And and so when I was a teenager, I started to uh, grow a bit in my faith. Like I was, like okay, Jesus is the real deal. Um, I I want to figure out this following Jesus thing a little bit more. And and so I was growing, and I started, you know, I started participating a little bit. Like I'd stand and as I was sharing, I mean, literally, this is what would be going through my head, is like, I want to raise my hands, but I don't want everybody to look at me. Meanwhile, literally every person in the church had their hands up, right? So, like, they're already looking at me. I'm the weirdo, you know, and I'm, like, struggling with all these expressing my worship and not expressing my worship and trying to figure out that thing. But then when I was in my 20s, um, something happened to me, like, I had several encounters with God where, where I knew that 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 I had interacted with God. Like one case, and some of you have heard these stories, but one time I remember I was at a conference and I was just in a meeting about about seminary and I was listening to the different theologians that were there and all of a sudden just started weeping uncontrollably and like just, just totally ruined. And everybody around me is like, what's wrong? You know, did something happen? And I'm like, no, I'm trying to explain what's happened. You know, and I'm like, I was so overwhelmed by God's presence. And then my mom walks up to me and like, you know, she's, she, you know, just like kind of rubs my shoulder and says, Oh God just loves you. And that just made it worse. And I start sobbing more. And then they take me out to eat hamburgers and I'm trying to order a hamburger while I'm sobbing. It was so stupid. You know, i am like, cheeseburger. <laughs> God loves me. And, uh, but like that moment was so, it was so, um, overwhelming. Like, for the first time ever, I knew that 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 God loved me. Like, I knew it. It was in my soul. It was in my heart. And not only did I know that God loved me, it's like I knew that God loved everybody around me. Like, his love for human beings was so overwhelming. And I was, like, wrecked. And, I, and, I, and so I'm like, okay, okay. I want to do this thing for Jesus all the way. And, and so I, at that time, I was listening to all these different um, preachers and teachers. I was just consuming MP3s, <laughs> the pre-podcast podcasts and listening. And, and a lot of them were on worship. And I remember this one time I was listening to this, this guy named Jack Deere, and he was speaking about just the, 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 tr- the hugeness, the transcendence, the, the greatness of God. And, and he was talking about this idea that right now, like, everything exists because God allows it to. You know, there's a scripture in Hebrews where it says that, that God hold, Jesus holds all things together by the power of his word. And like so simultaneously, right now, there's, I don't know how many people in this room, but God is, is simultaneously involved in every single one of our lives in unique and specific ways. And so I'm, like, meditating on that, and then I turn on this song, and I'm listening to it, and I'm just like, shouting. I remember I was in the car, I was driving, and it was the first time, like, I let go. I was, like, singing and trying to stay on the road, you know, like, raising my hands, going to town and, like, really engaging. I looked over this one time, this person was just staring at me when they're driving, and I was like, I'm not weird. Uh, But, like, that was a huge moment for me, because I remember one of the things that I, I came to realize, and this goes back to our definition of worship, is that worship isn't outward expression of inward reality. And so I think it's absolutely true that we can sit and stand before God, and we can just experience the goodness of God, but at its very core, worship is expressive. Like, there's no such thing as, like, I worship God in my own way. I I really don't think that that's the goal. The goal is to worship God in His ways, and he has given us Scripture to actually help us understand the ways to express our love and devotion to Jesus. And, and so what's interesting here in the book of Exodus is this. You see this pattern. If we were going to summarize worship or the, the kind of the a theology of Exodus, so this is like big picture view of all 30-plus chapters of Exodus, we'd see this, okay? This is how we can, we can summarize it. First, there's slavery right? The people of Egypt are enslaved. They are stuck in Egypt. They are being taken advantage of. They are being oppressed. They are, they are stuck. Now, correspondingly, as human beings, do you know that we have the same problem? We are enslaved to our, to our sin, right? I mean, think about that. Do you all know that you guys suck? <laughs> yeah, I'm here. We do. As human beings, we, d- we, are, we are broken. Like, the best example I always use is that you do not teach your little kids to lie and be mean to their siblings, right? They're just really good at it, like naturally, right? And we are naturally that way. We're broken. So we're enslaved. So in the same way that the people of Israel was enslaved to Egypt, metaphorically, as an image, points to our enslavement to our sin nature, And then what happens in the story is salvation. God, in the story of Exodus, God raises up a deliverer, Moses, who points to the ultimate deliverer, his name is Jesus, right? And brings salvation. So what is the natural outworking or the natural response when God provides salvation? It is service or worship. Right, So this is how you can understand the book of Exodus is that we see it starts and it's rooted in the slavery of God's people. Then they are saved through redemption. And then the natural response is worship. It's worship. And that's why we worship as a community. And I hope you know that. That's the whole goal is that as we gather, you know, my whole conception of, of the church is that we have a space, our space, every space within our church community, everything we do is filtered through this lens as an opportunity for worship. Prayer worship, receiving communion is worship. Engaging with scripture is worship. Sitting next to your brothers and sisters in Christ and encouraging them is is worship. And that's fleshed out in Exodus. It's really interesting because by the end of Exodus, after God has given the people of Israel all of his laws and his commandments, What biblical scholars have noted is that what we see is that there's a seamless interaction between the ceremonial religious practices and the way that the people of Israel are to engage with one another, both in the family setting and in the community setting. So in other words, every aspect of our lives is worship. Let's stand. You know, after, uh, after hiking around for, for like six days, uh, standing was really hard, <laughs> sleeping on the ground on rocks and stuff. So let's just take a minute and just stretch for a moment. <laughs> so here's, here's what we're going to do, just for a minute here, is let's just create a space and have a space where we can respond to what the Holy Spirit might want to do right now in our hearts. And and there were two things that I felt like God kind of was highlighting to me this morning for us before we pray. is I felt like um, the first thing was this, is I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted us to reflect on what is it that we're afraid of? When it comes to worship, what is it that we're afraid of? Because I talk to many of you, and many of you will say things like, oh, I want to be more expressive in my worship, but I'm just afraid that dot, 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 okay? so what is it that you're afraid of what is it that is is has become an obstacle um, before you to be able to surrender your life to jesus and we're going to pray in a minute we're going to ask god to remove that obstacle and to remove that fear amen because i think ultimately the goal is to become totally 100 percent surrendered to jesus where we are no longer afraid of what other people think about us but we are absolutely consumed by the desire to honor God. And so let's close our eyes right now, and if you're okay with that. And Holy Spirit, would you come right now? Lord, even right now as we are just reflecting and, and thinking about what motivates us, what fears are controlling us, what obstacles exist before us to become people who are consumed with your presence and your power, who desire to honor you, Lord, would your spirit right now just begin to reveal to us, Lord, those things.
1: it on. Okay. Um, just some things that um, the Holy Spirit was speaking to me while I was sitting over there was um, Luke kept mentioning worship is an outer expression of what's going on inside you, Real, you know, the reality of it. And sometimes that's scary, you know, like for you know, what is your fear, like he mentioned before? Sometimes you're just afraid of coming undone in front of other people, you know, or being honest with where you're at with God and your relationship. It's a scary thing, but this is the space. It's safe, and God wants all of our hearts and our minds. So that's where our trust comes in with Jesus and the, the situation that we're in that we just need to unleash and let God do his thing in our lives and take, you know, a lot of us are maybe minor control freaks, too. So um, I just want to pray for um, God's presence to be completely and fully instilled in our entire body and our mind. Um, Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, where you're at with us individually right now, Lord. And I pray that each one of us, would just completely surrender everything to you and that we can come unleashed and that we can uh, we will allow the Holy Spirit to move in our lives and that we can worship outwardly what's going on inside of us and it's okay it's okay to be real and I think that God appreciates that so I pray for um, the entire day today the the rest of the weekend the holidays I pray that um, your families your friends your neighbors the people that you're spending this holiday with would see a significant change in your life and that they would want what you have and that you could share with them I'm just worshiping God I'm a follower of Jesus and not be scared of it
0: Yeah, and father as we now transition from this gathered space of worship and community a uh, community of your kingdom lord i pray that you would help us with what don just said that as we go out into the world around us that we would be reminded and remember that we are carriers of your presence and your power that we are all every person in this room is called to be an ambassador and a missionary in the world that we live in, and so help us to make a difference in the lives of people around us that don't have church or don't have community. Lord, give us opportunities this this week to be a blessing, and I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, and once again, all of God's people who agreed said amen. Amen. Folks, have a great week, and we love you. Stick around, say hi to somebody, and uh, enjoy a cup of coffee.